Welcome to Prefer Not To, a weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Kate Matthews and Josh Lucas. As is frequently becoming the case, I am not Kate Matthews. <laughs> and as is only sometimes the case, I'm not Josh Lucas. Every week, Kate and I have a cocktail that we either haven't made in a while or have never made. Watch a movie, talk about some other stuff that we hope you will find entertaining, and then send you on your way in less than an hour. Hey, Kate. Hey, Josh. How are things? Things are good. What are we drinking and or watching this week? <laughs> we are having screwdrivers, and the we are watching The Car from the 1977. Car. Yeah. I would hazard a guess to say that most adults, having a screwdriver has was their first taste of booze. Don't you think? Most people steal some vodka, put it in some orange juice. I think that's a safe have bet. Have it in yeah. seventh grade. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. So what's in the old screwdriver? Screwdriver is one part vodka to two parts orange juice, which is shaken and served in a chilled glass. Really chilled glass? Mm-hmm. I did not actually know that. I didn't know that either. I think it is but a that's way... that's the IBA recommended? Yes, I think it's a way to try and class up the beverage because it is kind of simplistic. Yeah, it really is Even just for a high barely ball. a cocktail. You yeah. had to convince me that this was a legit cocktail. It is. It's a, it is an International Bartender Association official cocktail. Which is our one, one rule. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we get into the story behind the cocktail and before we talk about our movie this week, I think you know, Kate, that I have to read our standard disclaimers. Yep. I don't like to do it, but I'm legally required to. You are? No. Disclaimer number one is that Kate and I are not cocktail experts, which nope. anyone who has listened to the show for more than a few seconds could tell you. We will probably <laughs> not prepare your favorite beverage in a way that you consider is doing it justice. All we ask is your patience as you accompany us on this journey of discovery. Second disclaimer is that alcoholism is a serious disease like pertussis or salivary carcinoma. Oh. If you had one of those, you'd go to a physician, and you should probably go to a physician if you worry that you have a drinking problem. Um, I'm sorry, Salieri? No, not, not Salieri. There's no F. Marie Abraham involved. What, what, Salitary? What did you... Salivary. Salivary. What is that? So do you know why I picked those two this week? I know why you picked pertussis. Why did I pick pertussis, Kate? Uh, because the state of California just declared a epidemic on... Uh, Pertussis, also known as whooping cough. That is right. Which, was it the rates so far this year are More cases higher? this year than they had in the entirety of last year. Yep. So and I know why that's why. So please, I know we've said it before, but if you haven't had your Tdap booster, go get one. You'll save babies. Mm-hmm. Because pertussis is especially susceptible to reductions in herd immunity because the vaccine itself is not perfect. It only has about an 85% success rate. So it relies on herd immunity to stop the spread of the disease. Mm-hmm. That's why I had pertussis. Do you know why I had salivary cancer? I do not. Because the great Tony Gwynn died today, one of the greatest batters in baseball history, and he died of salivary cancer. Do you know what the almost exclusive cause of salivary carcinoma is? Chewing tobacco? Chewing tobacco. So please, if you're chewing tobacco, quit. If you're smoking, quit. 54 or something? Uh, Yep. Yeah. One of the great batters in in all of baseball history and uh, dead from an entirely preventable disease. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, quit tobacco. I've said it before, but it was the hardest thing that I've ever done, but it was the best thing that I could do for my health. And look at it this way. You know, if you want to eat lasagna and uh, drink like a fish for the rest of your life, quit smoking. Maybe it'll balance out. That, by the way, is not true. Nope. That is, there is no science on that, so. Nope. No. There should probably be a third disclaimer that any science claims made by Josh are entirely fanciful. (laughs) Speaking of fanciful things, you've got a lovely yellow beverage in your cocktail glass there. Well, it's yellow colored. We don't need to get into that. We use the bargain brand OJ. I prefer not to. Um, here, here at the compound? Here at our uh, our compound, yes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the screwdriver, how it came to have the name mm-hmm. of an incredibly useful piece of hardware. Yep. Well, I'm glad that you asked because the drink got its name. Because otherwise we would have no show. <laughs> The drink got its name, apparently, from the practice of American engineers who were secretly adding vodka to their orange juice at work. Stirring it with, what do you think, Josh? An Allen wrench. Yes, and that is why we call it the Allen wrench. No, it was a screwdriver. You know, I, 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 I looked up today if there were cocktails called Allen wrenches, and there are a few attempts to make it. Here's my, here's my pitch. Okay. For an Allen wrench cocktail, mm-hmm. right? So everybody these days, you get your Allen wrenches at Ikea. So I thought you could take a screwdriver and to make it an Allen wrench, you just make it lingonberry juice and vodka. That sounds like a good idea because I was also going to mention that the screwdriver is very easily adaptable to whatever you want it to be. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's I open sourced that, by the way, America. 
You can thank me later. Um, Don't thank me. Another story holds that the American troops were doing the same thing during their deployment in World War II, trying to make their weak, you know, orange juice a little bit better. And in another story, it might have been workers on oil rigs in 1950s. So wow, that is you know, that is a, <laughs> when Mad Men goes off the air. Mm-hmm. I want the series about 1950s oil rig workers right. who are getting loaded and having fist fights out in the middle of the ocean. I think that would be uh, <laughs> that would be great. So at any rate, someone put their screwdriver into a glass of orange juice and vodka, and mm. thus a cocktail was born. And it was like a Reese's cup type situation. Yes. You got your delicious citrus beverage on my hardware. You got your hardware on my delicious citrus beverage. <laughs> And so it's safe to say, however, that despite whatever origin story you choose to cling to, the drink actually was invented and popularized during the 1940s. One of its earliest appearances in print is from an October 24th, 1949 article in Time magazine entitled Turkey, Wild West of the East, <laughs> which was about the nation. <laughs> Most absurd headline I've ever heard. Turkey. That's like that's like a headline that says Oregon, the Delaware of the West. Turkeys in all caps, by the way. Like it's Turkey, Dateline, <laughs> Turkey, the Wild West of the East, China, the France of Asia. Um, so this is from 1949, and the specific quote because. It's so so old at this point that Time Magazine will only let you read the first paragraph, so I did not get down to where it actually is quoted. So I could not tell you what it was about specifically, aside from the mm-hmm. fact it was about Turkey being the Wild West of the East. Andromeda, the Delaware of the local galaxy cluster. <laughs> In the dimly lighted bar of the Sleek Park Hotel, Turkish intelligence agents mingle with American engineers and Balkan refugees drinking the latest Yankee concoction of vodka and orange juice called a screwdriver. What year is this? 1949. Wow. Which is why when I, again, I'm just That is very sooner or later everyone comes to Rick's. In the dimly lighted bar of the Sleek Park Hotel, Turkish intelligence agents what? mingle uh, with Paul American Lind engineers. Is Paul Lind here or, or Catherine Hepburn? refugees drinking the latest Yankee concoction of vodka and orange juice called a screwdriver. I had no idea Catherine Hepburn slash Paul Lind was so Worked for Time Magazine? Yeah. I didn't either. So that's the screwdriver of the cocktail. I did want to mention that the actual screwdriver, mm-hmm. okay, as in the tool. Right. Yeah. Hey, what is the history on the actual appeared tool? appeared in the late Middle Ages in either Germany or France. Interesting. Where it was used in terms of uh, screwing uh, armor in together. But you would think that they would have to have some sort of standardized fastener in order to make a screwdriver work. Because otherwise you'd have to have a different screwdriver for every screw. Well, screws themselves were very streamlined until the industrial age. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you would have to have a standard head. Like, the reason that screwdrivers oh. work is that every screwdriver has the same head, or, you know, we have the two kinds. Well, I think maybe it was just Except like those on fucking a, Allen wrenches. On a God shot. fucking damn it. A shot by shot basis, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, it did not become popular or diversified until after the first industrial revolution when mass production of both screws and screwdrivers and their different types was much easier. And vodka. Uh, yes, and orange juice. Mm-hmm. No one drank orange juice in the Middle Ages. Well, sure. That's why the CIA, we fought all those wars down in Central America. I mean, we didn't. What? Totally local rebels. What? Yeah. So what was your first taste of alcohol? Like li- liquor, not bo- not like beer or something, since we were talking about that. Oh, man. By the way, kids don't drink. It only makes you cool. I, I can't say that this is actually accurate, but I do remember my brother coming home from college with a bottle of Goldschlager. Mm-hmm. And which is like a peppermint schnapps mm-hmm. with real flecks of gold in it or whatever. And I remember drinking some of it and just being like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. Yeah, but that is disgusting. Yeah. Goldschlager is disgusting. I think and that's uh, the closest I can remember. I think my first was my parents who drank no liquor at all. Like, I, I don't think I have had ever seen my parents have a cocktail until I was an adult. Really? Yeah. My mom loves scotch now. Apparently, maybe she did what? Maybe she, she did it in martinis, secret. Like, yeah. Maybe she did it in secret when I was a child. But uh, they had some friends who came to visit, gave them a bottle of Galliano, and I think I had like a cap full of it, and thought this uh, tastes like the worst pancake syrup that I have ever tasted. It's funny that you mentioned Galliano because you know if you put some Galliano in this, it's uh-huh. a Harvey Wall banger. Really? And then if you put some dark rum in this, it is a brass monkey. That funky monkey. And if you put blue curacao in here, it is a sonic screwdriver. Curacao. And we're, we're going to pretend that's that's not an IBA drink. I guarantee you that's not. <laughs> Just, but there's a lot of different 
you know, there's one called like a, a Mexican screw, which is when you make this with tequila instead. And like, there's a lot of puns on the word. There are a screw. lot of like they extend the basic cocktail with ethnic slurs, mm-hmm. like to make it a different version of yeah. the drink. You know? Yeah, like the Kentucky Mule as opposed to the Moscow Mule. Yeah, or the uh, yeah. the hairy the hairy uh, navel. <laughs> Which right, we which we discussed last, last week, week because yes. it was Russians. Yes. Right. Uh, so that that is the screwdriver. How does it taste, Josh? That's okay. It's uh, you know, it's like a screwdriver. Oh, I tried to class it up a little bit by putting it in a glass. Yes. Yes. Ordinarily, these are drunk from plastic tumblers or uh, thermoses that you have smuggled into high school. It's still, it <laughs> tastes delicious. Yeah. I'm still trying to think of funny ethnic slurs that that I can make on cocktails, and I completely have failed. We'll put it in show notes. I feel like I'm not. Pulling my weight in racism. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say to that. <laughs> Good? I Question mark? guess. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like, that was go- I was literally racking my brain for cocktails that I could put Manischewitz in in order to make some sort of horrible anti-Semitic slur, and I couldn't. Um, no, don't, don't. I know you can do it. Okay. <laughs> we all know that racism just trips off your tongue like a fucking waterfall. It does, indeed. Uh, yeah. Or as the Spanish say, agua de fresco. Right. That is uh, the, the French word for waterfall. Yep. Yes. <sighs> How's summer treating you? Uh, it's hot. Yeah. I don't really, it doesn't feel, I mean, like, I'm not used to having summers. Ever since I became an adult, summer just doesn't really mean anything to me anymore. Except that it's really, really hot, hot out. God. And then at some point in the middle, there's America's birthday. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. America. Oh, hey, um, I forgot to mention this. In cocktail news this Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, the day after this show comes out, World Martini Day. Well, I know what we're doing. Uh, it'll be Thursday night, so uh, you, I don't think you're going to have too many. Although you never drink too many martinis anyway. Yeah, you don't like martinis. Yeah. Well, I try. I keep trying. I want to like it. I really do. But Yeah. The problem is all our TV is off, so we have like nothing to do. Exactly. Yeah. Except well, I don't know if play bridge. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, you know, there's that, uh, there's that show that they're trying to, uh, that they're putting in the Paw Patrol slot. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little on the fence about that. I am too. It seems like, um, well, do you want to describe the show or, I mean, it's, so, um, okay. All right. All right. So the show, to, okay. it, it's coming on in I mean, the Paw Patrol I'm sure you people have seen slot. the ads for it. Yeah. Because the cat is cute as uh, can be. Yeah. So the name of the show is Catnip. Right. And Which was is, not the original name that we had heard for it. No, but we're, I mean, it's uh, its about a cat who's a detective. Right. His name is and Mitzi. I cannot, I cannot stress to you enough how cute Mitzi is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitzi is a boy, by the way. That's part of the, fun, the humor. That's part of, of the, yeah, that's part of the joke. Uh, because, you know, when, the, when its owners will call to it and they still think it's a girl. So there's some suspense about that. But Yeah. So Mitzi. It has this sort of hard-boiled voice. I can't tell who it is yet doing the voice. It feels like it should be somebody that I recognize. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I can't tell yet. I kind of assumed that it was someone who was on Law and Order at some point. Well, that really doesn't narrow it well, down. Well, you know what I mean. Like someone who was like maybe on for like a season or Anyhow, two. So t- tell Sorry. the premise of the Sorry. show and then, um, you know, the, I'll mention the weird ad that we saw. So uh, Mitzi plays the title character. Well, he's not a title character. He was before the title was changed. Right. Sorry about that. Right. So the original title we heard was Inspector, Inspector Pussy. Pussy. Uh, and that was when it was going to be a Showtime show. So obviously, now that it's a network show, they changed they it had to, to catnip. It a little bit. However, to he, catnip, yes. However, he is still um, he's a detective, which yeah. is where the so name the, yes, came the from. The structure of the show is still basically the same, I think. Right, and uh, he is a cat who solves crimes mm-hmm. by using his unique gift, which mm-hmm. is to get high on catnip. Mm-hmm. And find the real culprits. They don't use the word high. No, they they don't. They, Let's it, be clear. Medicinal. It's not, well, they don't. It's, it's it's funny because he's like this hardboard detective. Like there's an element of humor. It's sort of like a USA characters welcome type. Thing. Right, right. But there's an element of humor to it because he's this sort of hard boiled kitty cat with this very gruff Sheen esque voice. I can't really. I can't tell who it is. Um, it is Sheen esque, isn't it? It is, but it's not. It's not like Martin Sheen. It might be like that shitty brother yeah. who does all the conservative political ads. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 The one who's in that Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, Werewolf. Right. And um, Soul Taker. But um, so 
so like on the one hand, he has this sort of raspy voice and he's out solving these crimes. But then when he's interacting with his owners, you know, first of all, they call him Mitzi and then they give him the catnip. And the funny part is that he's like trying to solve these crimes. He works really hard and he thinks he's this mm-hmm. great detective, but he never actually solves them until his owners inadvertently get him completely high on catnip. And then he has these mystical and that's, breakthroughs. That's these when he sees that exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's an it's it's, you know. The irony is that he thinks he's this great detective in a sort of Clouseau-esque fashion, when in reality, the only reason he solves these crimes is because these owners of him, who are so clueless that they think he's a girl, get him high. And then he and has also the, the Metropolitan Cat Police uh, depend on him, even though he clearly is I mean, he's a good see, detective. Not, okay, so but... Do you want to get into the problems that I have? Which is, so first of all, and you saw the ad, I think you yeah. saw it before I did because you brought it to my attention that it right. was going to be in the Puppet Troll slot. Are they using like CGI to make the eyes on Mitzi like a little bigger? A little bigger. And do they do it like, is it all the time or is it only, because it seems like when when Mitzi is interacting with like the chief mm-hmm. and when Mitzi's interrogating other cats. Chief McScruffins. That is not the cat's name. You just, they don't say that in the commercial, I, as far as I know. But it seems very stylized. But then when Mitzi is interacting with with his slash her owner, it's very it, it looks like just like a normal cat. So I can't tell like where the line between the CG. It's actually pretty well done, I think. But the line between the CG and the not CG is not not clear. There's sort of it's it's almost Brian Fuller esque, like where yeah. there's a very stylized, hyper real version of this reality that the cat is in. But then when it enters our reality, it's just sort of very straight. So I agree. I couldn't figure out stylistically where it was going. But the other question um, that I had was, it just seems, and tell me if you got this feeling, mm-hmm. okay? But it kind of felt like the network, like they knew they had a big hit with Paw Patrol. Mm-hmm. And they knew that they were sort of, at least f- until next season, they had sort of run dry on ideas. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to keep the momentum going because they'd gotten a lot of fan mm-hmm. response that people really liked Paw Patrol. Right. And that they were sort of tuning in and expecting uh, Paw Patrol to be on the air mm-hmm. but then it seemed like they kind of forced this creation of this this sort of yeah. it just seems sort of very artificial yeah well I found I mean I agree the episode doesn't premiere until next week mm-hmm. so we're not going to really know Yeah. Um, it seems to me that they're pulling you know kind of a typical network situation where they have to do something in the summertime to retain their ratings yeah well it's the so problem they kind of a lot of creative something endeavors. together I think it's a problem of a lot of creative endeavors where you sort of strike gold and then people are just so excited about it that you keep you you go back to the well really hard but then people constantly want more and sooner or later you're running out of ideas right and 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 then it becomes this situation where if you don't follow it up on it makes the original not look as good as as perhaps people thought it was to begin right um and i've also read that this show is particularly expensive to produce because Mm -hmm. of the cat as the main character, you know, the training and like the insurance. Well, I can't he's a very how much of it, actor. And honestly, I can't tell how much of it is practical effects or the CGI like you know, we talked about. I don't either, but much. Or how much of it, honestly, is just my mind playing tricks on me? Because I think when you start watching these things and you expect these things to happen. It's doing things to your brain. No, Have you no. two been sniffing the catnip? No. It's fine. <laughs> I think the show has promise. I really do. I don't know. I think it, it just seem, it seems forced. Yeah. It seems like the network is just desperate to sort of continue people's interest in Paw Patrol when maybe, you know, there's not that much left there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it comes well, back next season, so hopefully creatively they'll have something back. Well, you did tank. see you did see that the rival network is doing Father Gnome. That's, no. Yes. And no. it's like so obviously derivative. No, that yes. is not true. It is, is true. It, Look it up on IMDb. That, you're making that up. They've Stop messing it. with people. That they is, have. They wouldn't go that close to it. That's so obviously they could sue. All right. Well, I'm just saying it's it it happened. All right. Okay. And it's or it's gonna happen. It's in production. There's not right even now. like a twist. It's not like, you know, in olden times or in Soviet Russia. Father No? Yeah. Well it's in a whole different universe. It's like the Transformers and the GoBots. Yeah, okay. Hey, what Look, did we watch this week for our movie? <laughs> um, we watched, speaking of GoBots, mm-hmm. we watched uh, 1977's uh, The Car. The Car. Starring uh, James Brolin, mm-hmm. Kathleen Lloyd. Who I knew very little about, but is cute as a button. She is cute as a button. And that guy from One of the Robocop. girls from Witch Mountain. I, Ronnie, I was going to mention Ronnie Cox, Kathleen Lloyd, James Brolin. I also wanted to mention that it stars Kyle and Kim Richards, who were in Witch Mountain, 
but are also two of the present-day housewives of Beverly Hills. Really? Yes. I remember looking at the credits yesterday when we were watching it, and Kyle Richards popped up and I'm like, can't be the same one. That really makes me want to watch the Beverly Hills, because I loved the Witch Mountain. Yeah, so uh, Kim is the... uh, Betty Davis is in one of those. Maybe both. In Housewives? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The shambling zombie stone-hearted corpse of Betty Davis was ambling through Real Housewives of of Orange. Well, it's great. You know, this is the same one that has Kelsey Grammer's ex-wife on it, Camille. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is... So tell us about the car. Oh, okay, sorry. Or am I telling us about the car? I thought you were telling us about the car. And I'll comment. I will say that uh, it is a wonderful film. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That's that's the sum total of your comment? Well, I was was trying to fill in the space and say it's without giving too much away about what the car is actually about. (laughs) It's about a car. (laughs) Really? You don't want to spoil people as to what the car is about? (sighs) You know, if you're going to see one car-themed horror movie... Don't make it Christine. Make it Christine. If you're going to see two, make it Christine and Duel. But if you're making three, consider the car. You forgot about rubber. Oh, right. Rubber. Yeah. Which is actually just about a tire. It's about a tire. So, so maybe it's sort not of a synecdoche type situation. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. Uh, all right. Travel with me, if you will, to America's bright and sunny Southwest. I believe Utah is where they are. Is that correct? They are in Utah, yeah. Right. James Brolin plays Sheriff's Deputy Wade Parent, a mustachioed and dashing motorcycle policeman, mm-hmm. sheriff's deputy, uh, out patrolling the somewhat uneventful roads of rural Utah. Mm-hmm. One day out in rural Utah, two kids are out bicycling. And uh, th- they look like they're about 25, but they talk to each other like they're 13. Because mm-hmm. they're like, hey, let's race each other to the end of that bridge. One could get you. Right. When, uh, after they pass through a tunnel, after a series of ex- escapades, they are... Uh, beset upon by a menacing and chain-honking black car of indeterminate make or origin Mm -hmm. that uh, tailgates them and terrifyingly squeezes the girl between uh, a bridge abutment and a ravine that she then drops into Mm -hmm. and then rams uh, the boy off of a bridge into a river below. That's our title sequence, introducing the car. So let me visit it on uh, Sheriff Wade Parent. Uh, Jared, uh, James Brolin and his charming young girlfriend, played by Kathleen Lloyd, uh, in their morning routines where they are cute and flirt with each other and going to make breakfast. And Kathleen Lloyd uh, grabs his balls to torture him for some reason. It's because he's trying to attack her. Oh, right. Well, well he's a, it's, like a play, it's like play thing. fight. They play fight and it's cute. Uh, and he is a single dad with two daughters. The Beverly Housewives. Turns out she's a music teacher. She teaches music over at the local whatever school elementary is it elementary because there were like kids of all ages in that group well she says when she's twisting his balls one of my fourth graders yeah i don't know maybe this. it's like one of these k through 12 schools because they are out in the boonies true so. true all right so they they wake up and they meet cute james brolin does a really flat version of mule skinner blues and uh asks his girlfriend if she's ever noticed that it's impossible to brush your teeth without shaking your ass which i had never noticed that that was the case i'm entirely able to brush my teeth with no ass torque whatsoever. I think he was just trying to draw her attention to his perfectly taut, round tushy. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think this is peak Brolin. Girl. Yes. Good night. That's all you get to say? He was beautiful. I welcomed yeah. every shirtless scene and there were only two. <laughs> this was after complaining uh, hours before that there was no shirtless Chris Evans in Captain America. Yeah, and I don't see how those two are, I mean... I know, I'm just saying. I mean, if you're going to put Chris Evans in a movie, might as well have him take his shirt off. So then we learn that he's a sheriff's deputy, and he hops on his uh, little Suzuki motorcycle and Mm -hmm. rides off to the police department. Meanwhile, on the outskirts of town, which we learn is named Santa Inez, it's that age-old conflict between 20-something French horn player (laughs) and... It's hiking. French, right, 20-something hitchhiking flugelhornist and wife-beating bald explosives expert. Contractor. It's a story that has been told a million times. It's true. It's so true. Uh, French horn, uh, 20-something French horn hippie, because what hippies weren't into French horn? Uh, Uh Uh-huh. Is uh, hitchhiking and he's... On the roadside outside of a fellow's house, he can. Uh, the guy comes out of his house to 
sort of accost the French horn player for playing his French horn too loud and gets into something of a spat with his wife in front of this kid. Uh, so clearly, when the, the kid says, hey, don't don't treat your old lady like that. That's not right. Amos. I think his name was Amos. Amos. Is that the French hornist or the explosives guy? The explosives guy. Okay. So explosive guy says, mind your own business, uh, and goes back inside. The French horn guy then is, uh, hey, sitting on his side road, you know, as we all have done on many a lazy afternoon, sitting on a roadside playing our French horn. Mm -hmm. And that is not a metaphor. He has a French horn. Yes, he does. And uh, when who should appear over the hillside but the car. Mm -hmm. And it's zipping down the road, uh, again, chain honking as it goes by. Beep, 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 beep. And that's like, you do a better version of the honk. Do the, do the honk. <clears throat> Don't do it right into the mic because otherwise it's going to clip. Okay. Oh, well, now there's too much pressure. Right. Okay. Do Paul Lind doing the horn. <laughs> Honk, honk. Honk, honk, honk. pretty good. That, honk, honk. That was pretty good. Honk, 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 honk. I like that. Now do James Mason doing Paul Lynn. I can't. I can't. I can't do that. Underwater. Honk, honk. On a Thursday. This is my Catherine, this is my Catherine Hubbard. Honk, 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 honk. That doesn't sound <laughs> anything like Catherine Hubbard. Oh, my God. Hubbard. That sounds like former Reagan press secretary James Brady after the shooting. <laughs> All right, so the car speeds past, mm -hmm. <laughs> honking, mm -hmm. which, Josh, what I was trying to point out to you earlier was that apparently it honks the uh, the Morse code for X, the honk, honk, honk. Does that, is that That's the Morse code meaningful tapping. or just coincidental? I think it's just coincidence. Okay. Uh, and so then it drives by and it, uh, what? The car is driving by, and as it does, the French hornist, or mm -hmm. French hornist, French horn player. Fr French hornican. Uh, he's like sitting there getting ready to flag it down to hitchhike and is like, mm -hmm. all right, there's going to be 30 year old nymphomaniac inside and we're going to go to the Andes and ski together and it's going to be hot. Come on, come on. And then the car just speeds past. Right. And then so, he tosses him the gig. So he, he flips him off and says like, fuck you, motherfucker, something to the car. Car stops almost immediately mm -hmm. and in very hilarious fashion, rolls backwards. Right. And then speeds up again and roll and runs over the French hornet. This is where we learned that uh, not only do death cars not like the French horn, but they have very thin skin about being insulted. They don't take no disrespect from French horn. No, hornets. they do not. Then it turns out James Brolin is going to the scene of the bicyclists who earlier had been driven off into the ravine. They're investigating it. The daughter, the girl, was the daughter of a local physician. The boy was sort of a local ne'er do well who had fallen under the wing of. Sheriff's deputy played by Ronnie Cox mm -hmm. named Luke. And I know this only because Ronnie Cox got an and credit in the titles and Ronnie Cox as quote marks Luke. Luke. Right. I love when movies do that, like that beloved character of Luke. Ah, throughout the age. There's a storied tradition of the, re the renditions of Luke throughout the ages. Well, you know, Luke, the, uh, the biblical figure, is the patron saint of painters. Motorcycles. Of painters. And French hornists. Okay. <laughs> And, and apparently so, murdered bicyclists. Clearly, so it soon becomes soon becomes clear that the uh, murder of the French hornist and the murder of the bicyclist youths, who frankly deserved it because they were riding bicycles, in my well, opinion. Right, and they fir they first think it was the boy because the boy they haven't found the boy's body yet. Yeah, and then he washes up on shore when a fisher is fishing or something like that. So they realize that those become connected, and that there's some maniac in a black car driving around the towns area. but they're having trouble connecting them because like the husband doesn't want to leans on the wife to not testify because he'd have to say that i came out because i was beating my wife and she has and she has very clear bruises and like you know the sheriff's deputies are like okay can we talk to your wife and he's like no you can't talk to my wife right and they're like i didn't see nothing yeah um Oh, and then, oh, we have the, my favorite performance in the movie, which was John Marley as the sheriff. Mm -hmm. You may remember John Marley as um, the studio executive in The Godfather who had to be convinced with a horse's butt to hire Johnny Fontaine. Oh, my God. That's where he was from. Yeah. <laughs> I recognize him. I think him. he was in a lot of Cassavetti's movies, too. Well, um, I recognize him But that's him what from I recognize the... him from. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, and he... <laughs> It's like, I don't know what he's doing in this movie, but it's like something weird and fun. He will, like at one point, he, he's having a conversation with Brolin and a conversation sort of comes to an end and he just goes, whiskey. <laughs> and uh, he's very fun and not not in the movie for long enough, no. sadly, because uh, back at the station, as we're investigating the crime, we learn a few things about uh, about this sheriff's department, one of which is that Ronnie Cox is a recovering alcoholic, but He's not for long. Sober he, for two years. He sneaks out into the under the stress of having the boy 
who he is protecting, accused of these crimes, he sneaks out into the alley and uh, takes a nip from a bottle that he has in the trunk of his car. Uh, meanwhile, so at the end of a work day one day, uh, Marley and Sheriff Wade, or Deputy Wade, are leaving the building, and Brolin goes one way and John Marley goes the other, and out of nowhere, <laughs> the car, the car, as played by the car, uh, just... And, and this is a habit that the car demonstrates throughout this movie, sneaks up on someone, uh, in this case the sheriff, and just out of nowhere runs him down mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of town. Well, they're on their way to go get a drink, and um, Josh Josh Brolin, sorry, James Brolin is like, hey, I'll just finish up here. I'll right. go meet you. You order our drinks. Get me a gin and tonic. Right. And then, so then Brolin, hearing what, or hearing what happens or whatever, doubles back, or they're, they're back at the station. No, He's no, no, he doubles back. They're at the station. The bar's across and, the street. And this was another thing that I thought was great was uh, someone comes in to tell him what happened, and like, you know, we got hit by a car, he got run over by a car, and Brolin... He acts like this is the most complicated thing that has ever happened. He's like, no, talk slowly and tell me what happened. It's like, he got hit by a car. No, yeah. run it down for me. He got hit, the, the guy, he got, the sheriff, he got hit by a car. Right, I don't understand. He got, <laughs> there's a car and he got hit. Like, you spend a good, what, minute and a half explaining that the sheriff got hit by a car. Right. So it, cl- it quickly becomes clear that there is this one guy in a car speeding around killing people. And so the next day, question becomes whether the local elementary school can have their well, practice for their parade. One, there was one thing that you missed, which was oh. a, uh, there's a, uh, and God loved this movie for uh, having some diversity in casting because they have a, a, a Native American actor playing one of their sheriff's deputies. Mm-hmm. Um, whose name is Chaz. Whose name is Chaz. But I could not understand a damned thing that this actor said really? for basically the entire movie. Oh. It was like... Um, but at one point, he is interviewing an elderly Native lady. Navajo. She's, credit- she's credited as Navajo woman. Okay. And uh, what he says to she, she says to him and he says, translating, she says spirits tell her bad things coming in the wind, her family going into the back country tomorrow. So there's evil spirits coming from somewhere in the wind. Ronnie Cox also at this time is looking worse for wear, likely because of his uh, drinking. Uh, oh, and then the receptionist lady who is also a Native uh, American says, you know, your deputy didn't tell you everything that that the old lady said. Because she also said there was no driver in the car. Yeah, because she saw all. the car driving by. Right. Dun, so, dun, dun. All right. So next day, they're over at the at the school. And uh, the question is whether they can have their practice for their uh, their parade that they're doing. And Brolin is like, no, don't do it. And then Ronnie Cox is like, okay, go ahead. Right. So the point is now there's a bunch of because children. Because he is dating another teacher. Right. So there's In a bunch the of teachers. In the long-storied tradition of sheriff's deputies and elementary school teachers. Who happen to both be yes. best friends with each other. Right. So the, there's a bunch of kids. They're marching. Uh, they're practicing. Uh, J- James Brolin's girlfriend, who's played by Kathleen Lloyd, is mm-hmm. directing. And, like, all everyone's just out. Like, it's just, you know, like, huh, I hope nothing goes wrong. Nope. Hope hey, nothing wait, goes wrong. a horrible wind takes up, and there's just dust everywhere. The dust starts whirling and uh, the wind is blowing, which comes to be like kind of a sign that the car is coming. Mm-hmm. And so, much like those evil native spirits from the desert, right? Like, like the lady said about the the spirits. And the horses on the start wind. freaking out. Yeah. So, car shows up, starts trying to run people down. Everything is just insane. Uh, sort of hurting them like a sheepdog. Yeah. the 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 horses start freaking out, and. Uh, the teachers get all of the kids rounded up right. and run them. While the cowboys are trying to rope the car. Yeah, because it's taking place at like a local rodeo right. or something. I didn't They're understand what they thought they were going to do with it. Yeah, but. I don't know what they were going to do with it. <laughs> um, and so the car is like chasing all the kids up a hill. They finally stumble into a graveyard. Right. And the car pulls up right next to him but stops at the gates and like kind of revs it, its engine. It's convenient to have the graveyard right next to the dirt track. So, uh, you know, it, it suddenly clicks in uh, Kathleen Lloyd's head that, you know, like, hey, he can't come in here. So she starts trying to taunt or the won't driver. Or because it stops, right? Yeah, so she starts trying to taunt the driver to get out of the car, saying, like, hey, asshole, oh, I'm sorry, are you too afraid to get out of your car? You know, you're such a big man inside your car when you're chasing down women and children, you jerk, and, like, starts tempting him and taunting him. The car's only response is to ram one of the pedis, uh, right. one of the pillars that is holding up the sign so the stones fall, but it can't do anything else. Right. And Ronnie Cox's girlfriend then sort of sneaks out as Kathleen Lloyd is distracting the car. And gets inside a sheriff's car that was overlooking right. the display who said sheriff's or 
deputy or whatever is now dead. And because and it's 1977, the uses the CB. And radios help. How did they get rid of the car? Oh, the car just turned around and left. Oh, it just turns around and leaves. Right. It turns around and leaves, and then they, they, they're they going to tail it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they remember, they have the roadblocks. So Oh, yeah. The, Roland the, has set up all these roadblocks right. going in and out of town so that the so car can't escape. So then the car is sort of speeding out of town, and one of the sheriff's... Um, one of the sheriff's deputies is at one of the checkpoints and he sees the car coming up the hill and he gets out his rifle and sort of leans over and, and aims at the car. And the car keeps coming up the hill toward him. And by the way, when we see from the car's point of view, we go into sort of sepia colored car vision. Yeah. Orange car vision. Right, orange tinty, which I guess is meant to be the tinted windows in the car. The yeah, car oh, yeah. Because the car is tinted, windows. but no one can see inside. Yeah. Right. Oh, and it has no handles. It has no handles. And also Door handles. Yeah. Um, cops are shooting at the, they've. You might be wondering why they didn't just shoot out the well, tire. Right. Well, hold on. Yeah. So the cop, the deputy shoots at it and nothing happens. And then the car just turns around and leaves after he shoots at it. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's another car chase that ensues. The deputy who had been shooting at it sort of closes up in on him and they chase the, the car up a Mountain. mountainside. Where there's up a little twisty road up a mountainside. Yeah, there's, only, there's no way to go but up. Right. So they, they think they've got him cornered up at the top of the mountain. And, and as, he, as they're sort of heading up the mountain, the deputy says, I got, him, I got him cornered up there. All of a sudden, whoa, he's turned around and he's coming back in. And in order to avoid a head on, the uh, sheriff's deputy sort of swerves off onto the shoulder, at which point the car... <laughs> Just keeps creeping closer. Keeps creeping. And I liked this a lot, actually. I thought this was kind of cute. The the deputy opens the door of the car, and the car just sort of nudges very slowly and nudges the door back closed. Because he tries to to get out. To push the guy back into the car. The car just, he's like, "Uh uh-uh, no. And nudges the door closed. And the deputy's like, well, wait a minute here. We can talk about this. And then the car's like, fuck you. The car just pushes pushes him over into the ravine. Meanwhile, the car... Then the car sort of speeds away, and this movie has a lot of sort of cheapy, sped-up footage to make the cars look like they're going faster than they would mm-hmm. otherwise, which, you know, whatever. That's like a staple of the time, I guess. But uh, so there's a pursuit of the car by every sheriff's deputy everywhere, I guess. And there's two deputies' cars, and they both get run off the road and blowed up. Uh, as the car flips itself over them mm-hmm. in some sort of uh, barrel roll fashion. Well, uh, do, do a barrel roll. Do barrel roll. Uh, in order to cause them to explode. Uh, so now at this point we have what, like five, uh, including the sheriff, something like five deputies dead, four or five deputies dead. Yeah, so everyone starts to realize that this is Sir's business. Right. Uh, oh, and James Roland, right. It's just sitting there. Uh, Brolin uh, then sort of motorcycles after them. And uh, it's just sort of sitting there like at the top of a, a hill or something waiting for Brolin to come up on it. And Brolin like starts investigating it. And looking at it, he gets off his motorcycle. He shoots at it. Nothing happens. Yeah, he shoots, shoots at the tires. He, he, nothing happens. Yeah, he shoots the window. doesn't break, even though it's like a direct shot. He shoots at the tires. They don't pop. Here's where he notices there's no hand door handle. So he walks over to it because it's holding still. The car pops open its own door for it. And Brolin starts to peek inside. Peek inside it. And this was sort of, I thought this was not terribly effective, but it uses the door. It just sort of like door punches him yeah it just all of a sudden opens the door really fast hits him in the stomach and he falls backwards and then ends up is knocked unconscious yeah so he's in the hospital for being treated by the doctor whose daughter died yeah overnight um and they just want to keep him for observation but he's going to be fine his girlfriend is there and james brolin is like hey um will you stay with my daughters tonight because his daughters are you know at home with uh uh, ronnie cox's girlfriend and he calls and is like hey uh what was her name marion the girlfriend or i don't remember miriam miriam something Something like that that. he's like hey she's gonna come stay with you guys tonight they're like okay so she he tells his girlfriend and uh chaz the others one of the other deputies the native american deputy yeah can you can you take her home so she can get some stuff and take her to my place and she'll spend the night with my girls everyone's like yeah sure whatever so as they're driving to Marion or Miriam's house, mm. whatever, um, they pass the chief's trailer, who is kind of looking and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of worried about my family. And so he lets the girlfriend out at her house. And also, don't they get noticed that they had to go arrest the explosives guy? Yeah. They while just, he's in the car. Right. Right. But he's like, hey, do you mind if I go check on my family while you're getting your stuff together? And she's like, yeah, no problem. Just come back in 30 minutes. He speeds off to go check on his Meanwhile, family. Meanwhile, we see that the car has been tailing them. Well, no. The car, the um, the deputy's car, goes past a point in the woods going back towards his place. See, I thought we saw it first 
on the way in, and then it turned back, and then we saw it was hiding in the bushes. No, Whatever. Uh-uh. So he passes this very conspicuous shoulder in the bushes, right. and all of a sudden the car comes poking out, and you think, oh, it's going to go after the uh, minority detective. Nope. Turns the other way and goes starts goes driving toward towards the house. our house. She is okay, outside. Now we get to the best scene in the movie. Yes. She's outside, and the wind starts blowing something fierce. Mm-hmm. And so she is like kind of scared, and she runs inside, and... Uh, calls James Rowland in the hospital and says like honey I'm scared like I, I it's just really creepily friendly you know this, like- yeah and th- th- by the way this is apropos of nothing but this uh, house has basically every shade of orange yellow or brown mm-hmm. imagine it's like the Crayola's greatest hits of 1977 and a lot of olive color box yeah. it's yeah every if you want to know what the year 1977 looked like uh, look at her house. So she's really freaked out, and she calls James Brolin in the hospital. And they frame her in such a way when she's on the phone right. that her there's window. There's big picture window in the front of the house. There's a big old window in front of the house, and she's talking. And then all of a sudden, you see a light appear. Just this tiny little point of light. And it just gets closer and closer, and then all of a sudden, you realize that it's headlights. Right. And this is over the course of what, like 15 or 20 seconds? Yeah, and yeah. it just comes getting closer, and she's like, and honey, I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. What should I do? Help me. I think that. Ah! Right, and then the car just drives the car through the just picture drives window, straight through her fucking house, and kills her. Boom, she's dead, and she's dead, and it is actually that was really surprising. effective. Yeah. It was really effective. It was like I don't know. The only thing I can think of is like maybe like in a, another horror movie where someone is like on the phone trying to be like, "Is there someone in the house?" And like they're like lightning flashing, and you see like a killer approaching. Right, except it was better slower. because it wasn't reliant on surprise. I mean, you had all the data that you needed. Yeah. It was relying on your brain to figure out what was going on, and that's exactly. what I liked about it. So that happens. James Brolin is understandably kind of pissed off, and he swears revenge on the car. Right. And, and Ronnie like, Cox finally puts the pieces together through his uh, booze-addled brain that the reason that the car wouldn't go into the graveyard was it was hallowed ground. And that the car went out of its way to kill his girlfriend because, because she, she insulted was it. insulting it at the graveyard. Other people she had just run over this, found her in, his, in her house, which had the car know where she lived, and just destroyed her whole fucking house, which is true. It, it did. So they come at up with a point. <laughs> They come up with a plan using this really cool sort of a bas-relief topographic map of the county to lure the car into a canyon on the outskirts of town and explodify it. Yeah, and conveniently enough, Amos, the racist, wife-beating character who happens to own a construction demolition company, contractor, whatnot, Mm -hmm. they enlist him and they're like hey they lie to him us. and tell him there's a french horn player in the canyon yeah and so he gives them all of his explosives and they set up this really elaborate thing where james Rowland is gonna tempt the car mm-hmm. and chase it or lead it into a trap in in the canyon and then they're gonna explodify it right there's a lot of that a lot of hiccups so, kind of happen they're sort of setting it up and Finally, James Rowland's back at the house. He's talking to his girls. He's saying a tender farewell to his oh, girls. They're, they're asleep. Yeah, they're, everyone's asleep. Uh, right. He leaves them a note. Uh, <laughs> and then Josh's favorite part of then, the movie. <laughs> so he's out on his motorcycle, and uh, he realizes he's forgotten something in the shed. What was it that he'd forgotten? He goes back inside the house to uh, to write them a note. Right. and then He's so out he filling up his motorcycle. Comes back out to the garage and turns around and the car is in his garage. Just staring it's at him. Ninja car had sneaked into his garage. And somehow lowered his garage <laughs> door. This Yeah. This car had used its magic ninja powers to uh, sneak into his garage, unbeknownst to him, lower the garage door, and uh, proceed to menace James Brolin. So it, it tries to kill him by pinning him against the door of the garage. You know, honestly, the car could just make the garage collapse and kill him. I don't understand why it didn't Well, do the point is, is that he tricks the car by jumping on top of it and then barreling his way out of a window. And let's just take, take stock of the sentence that we just heard. James Rowland just tricked a car. Hats off, sir. You Gets tr- on his motorcycle. You, trick, you tricked a car. Gets on his motorcycle, and the the final act has begun. Right. Uh, and then he drives off in his motorcycle, and uh, they blow up the car. So they finally trick the car into a canyon. <laughs> like, honestly, there's about 15 minutes of them. Eh, it's not that long. It's like 10, less than 10 minutes. So uh, they fake out the car. They get it to go off an edge into the canyon where it blows up with all the explosive. And then... 
boom, there's like fiery, fiery fire coming out of it, but also there's like a scary snake demon like face. Abnormal, abnormally huge flames, and then there's like a weird skull snake-like figure in the flames that's writhing around, and like all of the deputies that are left look at it, and then after it's done, James Brolin is like, it's finally over. It's done. And then <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie Cox, Cox is, is like, but didn't you see that fight? You saw that. You saw that, didn't you? And he's like, it's done, Luke. And then they hug. And then the credits roll. And as the credits roll, we are treated to another image of the car rolling its way around Los Angeles, presumably looking for fresh blood. Yes. So the, the, the car will be back in Diamonds Are Forever. Yes. All right. What do you think of this movie? Well, we already hit the parts that I liked the most. Uh, I liked the, the one thing that I thought, here are the things that I liked. It was 94 minutes. Mm-hmm. It was structurally very sound. Mm-hmm. 70s. Uh, it was just, I mean, just, it was structured very well. The director is a not in comedy. He's a guy who directed Cat Baloo. I don't know if you saw that, for mm-hmm. which uh, Lee Marvin won an Oscar. Uh, and there's a lot of good composition, and it's not. Uh, it is a very competently made, well executed movie. The premise is just so completely absurd. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a demon car, like literally <laughs> it's a devil car. It is a devil car. Like there's no one driving it. It can't be destroyed. <laughs> and it's a it car. Can't... It's just a fucking car. But it's a really evil looking car. <laughs> I'm not scared of a fucking car. Well, maybe you would be. It's like if there was, was an evil tricycle. Well, tricycle is only one wheel away from being and a bicycle. Look, this movie is really effective and it works up until the point where you have to confront the fact that people are scared of a car. <laughs> but it's a fucking car that has a life of its own and it's attacking people. Like, I agree with you that it's patently just ridiculous. But how is that even, no. how is that more ridiculous hey. than like, Ghosts in a house. I am happy for. Th- I am happy. I saw this movie because I think I'd heard people make fun of it, and I don't think it is. I don't think it's fair. I think this is a, a fun movie to watch outside. I, I wouldn't even call it like a laughably bad make no, fun not of it at movie. All. Yeah. Um, the it's premise. Made, the flaw is, is just that the villain is an evil right. car. <laughs> That's the problem. You know, I mean, I would certainly rather watch this again than Christine. Yeah. You know, I mean, like of this, evil car movies. I mean, this was actually really, I thought it was paced really well. Technically speaking, it was really great. The actors gave it their all. They, mm-hmm. they definitely were like, yep, we're scared of this car. The only thing that was problematic was the fact that the villain was a car. Right. And a really dumb looking car too whatever i i thought this was an actually a really it's good, like a black thought, car that is deliberately doesn't look like any make of car it also has uh eyes <laughs> when it has sort of like 40s styling with sort of i don't know like maybe i don't know it kind of looks like a tucker uh the tucker cars or um you know, like one of those big 30s Packards, but, you know, squished. I think it was actually some kind of Lincoln. The point, really, what I'm just trying to say is I know that the premise is ridiculous, but if you think about it, all horror movies are ridiculous. Like, how many? I know. I know. I'm just saying. I okay. thought that it was good. The only thing that I liked about this movie was... James Brolin. Right. This is from that very brief window in American history where all men had to do in order to look sexy was look as much like a werewolf as possible. See, I don't get where you're going with this. Like, I really don't. So, if this movie were a cocktail, what do you think it would be? Oh, you know, I'm still drawing a blank. The best thing I can come up with is, like, a rusty nail, but, like, I can't, I can't, I'd, like, honestly, it's, it's just, it's so 70s, and it's so hokey that I want to say something that we've already done before, like a tequila sunrise, but I feel like... Mm-hmm. That's fine, you can do something yeah, we've said before, because mine's going to be something we've said before. But, like, I feel like that's... But what I, kind I, of tequila sunrise? There's more to it than that, because it takes place in the West, and it's, mm-hmm. like, so, I, I don't know. What what were you thinking? Well, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking about, like, uh, so, you know, it's it was surprisingly good in the sense that it was surprisingly competent, but for something that's still ultimately just a goofy movie about a car. So I was thinking, like, it's like a margarita that you get at Chili's, but, like, but like it's the bartender's first day, and he's working really hard to do a good job. So he's, like, mm-hmm. the bartender who's too good for Chili's, so he's making a good margarita, but you're still just getting a Chili's margarita. Yeah, you're getting, like, a blue razzatini margarita. Yeah. And also everything's too salty anyway, so it doesn't really matter how good the margarita is. No, it really doesn't. all you can taste is salt, and all yeah. you're looking for is something to get the goddamn salt out of your mouth. <laughs> and you only get more salt when you drink the margarita. Right, exactly. <sighs> hey, and on the flip side, our screwdrivers. If mm-hmm. they were movies, what would they be? I'm going to go with a buddy comedy. Really? Oh, because it's the two buddies? Oh, mm-hmm. I like that, because it's mm-hmm. vodka and orange. It's what, very which simple. Buddy, which buddy comedy? What, what buddy comedy? Uh, you know, and that is, that's another question. I'm just, I was going with more of the genre of buddy comedies, but I'm going to say something like, uh, like Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, like just two dudes, put them together. They're funny. I like that. 
That's a good. You know it's way I mean? better than I was going to go. What for. were you going to say? Well, I was going to say something that's sort of simple and has two flavors that don't really match, but that are still really good. So, like something mm. like um, like uh, Mammoth scripts for action for heist, like movie heist, right? Nice. It's funny. But it's also a good uh, action movie. Nice. But it's very simple. But it's these two things that you don't think would go with that well or like, together. Or, uh, or, or the... House of Games. Yeah. House of Games. That's the movie I'm going to say it is. Yeah. It's House of Games. All right. All right? All right. Cool. Hey, as always, we really want to hear from you. Our email address is pntcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at pntcast. On the web, we are pntcast.wordpress.com. On Tumblr, we are pntcast.tumblr.com. Dot com. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher, and we say it every week, but we are paid in the currency of your love, and you can render that currency by writing a review of us on iTunes or Stitcher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Kate, we don't have any letters to the editor this week. We don't. And occasionally, when we don't have a letter to the editor, mm-hmm. I'll read a letter written by someone else to, to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, in fact, the case this week. This is a letter to the editors of Wild West Magazine. It's from Jim Whittington of Eufaula, Oklahoma. Okay. At one time, my grandfather, Amen Dunn, was sheriff of Seminole County in Oklahoma. There was a dance one night, and Belle Starr and her gang rode into town and entered the establishment where the dance was being held. They held their guns on my grandfather, and Belle demanded that he dance with her. She danced two songs with my grandfather and then rode out of town. My grandfather said she was not a good-looking woman. I asked him what the most frequent problem was that he had to deal with. He said that when it rained, they put wooden planks on the streets for people to walk on when crossing the street. Two guys often would meet out on the planks, and neither one would back up or step off to let the other guy by, and they would end up fighting, and he would have to stop them. And that's from Jim Whittington of Eufaula, Oklahoma. All right. All right, to the editors of Wild West Magazine. All right. Uh, hey, did you? I, I know you had something that you wanted to recommend this week. I did. Um, I wanted to recommend the, uh, well, last week on our movie, we watched the movie Burnt Offerings from 1976. Josh was thoughtful enough to pick me up a vintage copy of the original novel, which I consumed rather quickly. Same name, it is Burnt Offerings. It was published in 1973 by Robert Morasco. And uh, I read it. It is really good. It is way better than the movie, despite the fact that they are actually very faithful to one another. I think this is one of those instances where, you know, the medium has to be adapted to what the material is. Um, I would definitely recommend it. It's creepy. It's insidious. It's For those who didn't listen last week, I'm going to quick recap of the story. Oh, this is about a young family, Marion, Ben, and David, or Davis, whatever his name is, their kid, who answer a ad, a personal ad, to rent a summer home for the summer. And so they do. They get there. It is a very large mansion, which is astonishingly cheap. They get out of the city. They go to Long Island. They take over this house for very cheap from an elderly brother and sister. And then weird things start to happen. And then that is kind of where the horror takes place and where we go from there. Yeah, and you zip through that sucker too. So Yeah. It's really right. short. It's only like um it's only like two hundred and seventy pages. Yeah. They yeah. got it for like a quarter at Amazon. Yeah, it's like eleven chapters. Used book thing that they do, so yeah, you really enjoyed it. So I, did. I haven't read it yet. I'm going to give it a look. I liked it a lot better than the movie. Yeah. And you can see what the movie was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually think that Oliver Reed was really great casting in this role. Huh. Um, well, he's a great actor. Yeah. So. Well, all right. I don't know what we're going to watch next week. Do you know what we're going to drink next week? I think we're going to watch uh, Airport 79, The Concord. Because oh. we had so much fun with Airport 77. We might be having, uh, in that case, we're going to keep with the 70s tradition of mm-hmm. drinks. And we might just have wine coolers. That's more of an 80s thing. Well, in that case, <laughs> might Do I have to pick an 80s movie or we, are you going to pick a 70s We might drink? have Cosmos. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Suck it, Lucas. <laughs> well, as always, I have enjoyed spending time with you, the listeners, and occasionally enjoyed spending time with Kate. Yep. Uh, we really enjoy doing it for you, and we hope that you will choose to spend some time with us again next week. All righty. Thank you for listening. Her 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 her